Now today, what I want to talk to you about is I, I want to jump ahead in, in Acts. I want to jump ahead in Acts to after the church was formed I, because it's Vision Weekend. Because this comes out of my heart. When I, when I took a sabbatical for six weeks in September, uh, I just lived in the book of Acts. And I went back to the very first church. And I just started looking at the principles of the first church. And that's, that's, what, that's, that's where this, this series has come out of, the first church. It came out of my sabbatical. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump ahead. And then we'll, we'll roll back and we'll pick up those verses that we've missed. Uh, back Because if you'll remember right, when we left off last weekend, the disciples were waiting. They were waiting in an upper room, right? And so we learned last week when God asks you to wait for something, it doesn't mean that you, you, you do nothing. I mean, I mean, when you're waiting, you're actually praying and gathering and, 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 and preparing for the next season. For instance, right now, we have two teams, right? The Rams and the, and the Patriots that are waiting to play the Super Bowl. But that doesn't mean they're just sitting in their hotel rooms doing nothing. They're preparing, right? They're deflating footballs. Uh, they're... <laughs> They're getting them right to the right PSI, the right pressure. They're reviewing, they're reviewing practice sessions of the Rams right now so they know how to defend against them and what p- plays to play and all those other things. If you're a Rams fan, we, I mean, if you're a Patriots fan, we love you. We accept you anyway. And so, so here's what I want to do. I want to walk with you through Acts chapter 2. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to tell you some things, and I mean, these come out of just down deep in my soul of, of the things that we have to be, we have to be devoted to. Listen, when I, when I was a young kid uh, growing up, I, my dad got me into uh, 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 model airplanes to where you would put together models. I don't know if you can even do that today. You probably got an app for that, or you go to a website or something, and you build it online. But old school, back in my day, you actually had to go to a store to buy something. And so we would, my dad and I would go to the store, and uh, we would buy a plastic model. Uh, I was into the war, and I'd studied war history and all those other things. And so I'd buy an airplane, and then I'd come home, and, if, and, and you'd have a box top that showed you that all the pieces were designed to fit together uh, for that function, for that, for that airplane. And, I mean, it's step-by-step instructions. In fact, is my dad... Uh, when I started out doing that, he would start out teaching me how, how to do that. And in that box, it came step-by-step instructions. It came all the pieces that were, were there to, to assemble what it was designed for. You got some paint. Uh, you got some glue. It even, I mean, those step-by-step instructions were so precise. It even told you where the decals should go. And so I would, I would like, put those airplanes together. And then once the airplanes were done... I used them for the way in which they were designed to be used. In other words, I would play with the airplane as it was an airplane. I would display the airplane as an airplane. I started making so many models that, that I would, I would like, sometimes I'd hang them off the ceiling of my bedroom with, with fishing line, and I'd fly them in formation or maybe a dogfight or whatever. And so whether I played with them or whether I displayed them, I displayed them in a way that they were designed to be used, Right. And so then I got to the place where I'd used, I'd I'd made all the airplane models I could make. And so then I got into battleships and I started making battleships. And even with a battleship, I mean, I would end up and I'd put it all together and I would use the battleship in the way that it was designed to be used. In other words, when I played with it, I played with it as it was a battleship. When I played with the airplanes, played with the airplanes as they were um, an airplane. Now, I don't know why this is, but I think this is true in every young boy's life. 
that something would happen along the way, and pieces would break off of the airplane, pieces would break off of a battleship, and they would like, they would like end up in a box, a box of just spare parts. And then one morning, I would wake up one Saturday morning, and now all of a sudden, I am assembling this model, not in the way it was designed to be used. Now, all of a sudden, I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to turn, a, I'm going to turn an airplane into a rocket ship. I'm going to turn a battleship into a, into a weapon, into a gun, or into something like that. I don't know why that is, but oftentimes that happens if you're into models, that the day comes that you take these leftover pieces and you assemble them in a way that they weren't designed to be assembled. And here's my fear of the local church. God in Acts chapter 2, he gave us a blueprint for the local church. He gave us instructions for the local church. And if we're not careful, we will take those pieces, because he told us how the pieces should fit together to become this local church. We will no longer assemble the pieces in his image, but we will assemble the pieces in our image. We will no longer build the local church in the way that the local church was designed to be built. We'll build the local church to meet our likes, to meet our desires, to meet our preferences. See, if we're not careful, and man, when you go back to Acts chapter 2, and we'll, we'll get into this in just a second. We'll just, we'll, we're going to go verse by verse. We're going to go word by word. And you go back to Acts chapter 2, and God gave up in that upper room 120 men and women gathered around, they are breaking bread together, they are praying, the Holy Spirit comes. By the way, that's how the church was birthed. That is how the church was birthed, through prayer, through fellowship, through community. The Holy Spirit comes, and then God begins working right side by side with them, and they, they, begin, they begin assembling this thing we call the local church. Amazing thing, 120 people on Pentecost, and we'll, we'll go back to that on Pentecost, and one day, 3,000 people accepted Christ. Uh, unbelievable. I mean, you talk about church growth right there. 3,000 people, they're trying to assemble all these people. And listen, let me tell you something. Baptism in their day was critical. Baptism in their day was a big deal to them. And so now you have these 3,000 new believers, and they want to, they want to go public with their faith. They want to be, in, be obedient to the scriptures. And so if you've ever been to Jerusalem around the, around the temple or, or what is called cleansing pools. And so it's old, part of Old Testament worship that when people would come to the temple and when they would come to worship, they would first go to these cleansing pools, hundreds of them around the temple. And they would ceremonially uh, cleanse themselves. They would wash themselves according to the scriptures. And then they'd walk up long stairs all the way to the temple to worship. This new church that was birthed, you know what they did? They changed the cleansing pools into a baptistry. Now, can you, can you imagine what's happening in Jerusalem? People are now being lifted down into the cleansing pools and, and being baptized. See, it was a big deal to them. God had, God had radically changed them. Man, they, they were accepting Christ, and they wanted to go public with their faith. They wanted to show, I am not a part of this world any longer. I am not a part of this generation, that I am a Christ follower. And as a result of that, I, I want to go public with my faith. I mean, I believe they're making a public statement. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He died for my sins. He, 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 he went to the cross. He died for my sins on my behalf. Third day, he rose again. And because of that, I can be totally, complete, totally and completely forgiven. 
I can be his. I'm, I'm this new creation. And then all of a sudden, they went public with their faith. And listen, baptism didn't save them. Just in our day, baptism does not save us. It is an outward expression of an inward decision that we make. It was a decision that we made for... Listen, I'm telling you, this issue of baptism, it wasn't a corporate decision. It was an individual decision. It was an individual decision that says, you know what? I'm not going to have anybody make this decision for me. I, I mean, it is my decision. I have met Christ. I want to go public with my faith. I'm going to stand up in the community and say, I am now a Christ follower. Really and truly, it was like their first testimony. It was their first sermon to ever preach. And now all of a sudden, this church, this church is birthed. And what it does over the next 30 years, it, it changes not only their, their area, it literally changes the world. They had the blueprint. See, God gave them the blueprint. So, so here's the deal. I, I think from time to time, I think we should go back to the scriptures about and look again at what was God's blueprint for the local church. Because anytime we get away from his blueprint, it never ends well. And so, so, let, let's, so, so five principles this morning. I know I normally have three, uh, but, but there's five things that they were devoted to. Don't worry. Uh, I'll have you out before the kickoff of the Super Bowl. <laughs> we'll get out at the same time. But I, I got to give you these five things. And I'm telling you, these five things are the five things we're going to be devoted to. We're, 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 we are going to be devoted to these in 2019. If you are visiting with us, if this is your first weekend, if you're new to this church, this is a great time to be here because I think you should know what is this church devoted to? What are the things that they're devoted to? So the first thing is this. Let's just walk through it. We'll start out in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, when he lays out God, the, the blueprint for the local church. The first thing is this. This is where it starts. The church must be devoted to the word. Listen, the church has to be devoted to the Word. And man, this isn't a just a corporate thing. This is an individual thing because guess what? The church is all of us. We're a part of the church. And so the church, you, I, we have to be devoted to the Word. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves. Okay, stop right there. That word devoted in the Greek means a quality of being. It means to persevere through something to where it becomes a devotion. In other words, this, when you come into the Christian life and you start reading the Word for the first time, it can seem awkward. It can seem strange. That's why we have life groups. That's why we have people that will mentor you and help you. But if you do it over time, that discipline turns into a devotion because now all of a sudden you can hear from God yourself. Now all of a sudden God speaks into your day, speaks into your situation. So that's why we use this word devoted. And I'm going to use it in every principle. And, the, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the, and the prayers. And so listen, let me tell you something. If the church is going to be devoted to the living word, then it has to be devoted to the written word. We have to understand the importance of the Bible. I'm telling you, the Bible is more than a book that you'd check out of the library. It's more than a book that you'd download off of Amazon or wherever. It's more than any other book that you will ever read in your life. Can I just tell you this? And I'm probably going to meddle all the way through this, this sermon, okay? It's more than a book that you only read in a weekend service. It's more. I'm telling you, it is more. 
that you only give attention to, inspection to, in a weekend service. We hold in our hands, whether it's, an, whether it's a tablet, an iPhone, a Google phone, or Android phone, whatever they call their phones, Old school book, it is, more, it is the words of the Almighty God. Everything we know about Jesus Christ is written in the Bible. And if we're, listen, if we're going to be devoted to God, we, listen, we have to be devoted to his word. Look at this, Hebrews chapter 4, verse, verse 12. He says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now, I'm telling you, the Bible is a living, breathing book that gives instructions, that speaks into you. Oh, and that's why a lot of people, that's why our society right now is pushing back through, from the Bible is because it divides the intentions of the soul. It convicts. It directs. But I'm telling you, the Bible is living and active. That's, that's the reason that you can life journal with us. Life journaling is just reading through the Bible in a year. And you can read the same passage hundreds of times. Then all of a sudden you come to that place and you read this passage because it's a season in your life or whatever. And God takes that passage and speaks deep down into your soul. It's living and active. That's why you can read it over and over and over. And it still gives life. Listen, I'm telling you, everything we know about Jesus in this book, the same Jesus that's in that book, the same Jesus is here today. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. I mean, Isaiah 48 says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand, listen, will stand forever. The word of God does not change. Even though man is trying to change the word of God right now. now. Paul writes to Timothy. We don't have time to read that scripture. Paul writes to Timothy. He starts talking about the days in which we're living now. That there's coming a day. There's coming a time when people are going give up to give up sound doctrine. No longer go by the teachings of scripture. They're going to try to change it. They're going to move into churches that will give them uh, words that their itching ears want to hear that will give them approval of everything, not hold anybody accountable and say those days are coming. Can I tell you, we are in those days right now. We are in those days right now. And the church has to stand for the word of God. In the, in the midst of the society, in the community in which we live, got a call from a pastor friend of mine, uh, Dr. Kurt Dodd, this morning. He was technically our founding pastor when we planted Fellowship of the Rockies. He's in Omaha, Nebraska. Calls me early this morning and said, Charlie, you're not going to believe this. The, the Nebraska legislator, two bills. You can Google it for yourself, not now. Uh, uh, LB-167, LB-168 is going, be, going before the Nebraska legislator that a pastor, a counselor, and a parent can be criminally charged for teaching Scripture on human sexuality in sanctity of life. If it passes, it's going to change everything. If it passes, it's going to, if it passes, Nebraska will just be the first state that adopts that. It'll be the first state. But for the first time, we have a bill going, behind, going before a state legislator, Nebraska, that can criminally charge a, a pastor, a counselor, a teacher, a parent, 
for standing for what the Bible says about human sexuality or sanctity of life. That's why it's so important, I'm telling you. That's why it's so important that the church stays devoted to the word. Because here's, here's the crazy thing. Here's the dangerous thing. When we stop being devoted to the word of God, you will become dependent on the words of man. And when you become dependent on the words of God, because you're, or, or the, when you become dependent on the words of man, because you are no longer dependent on the words of God, or you don't even know what the word of God says, that it's always a dangerous direction. It's always a difficult direction. It's, in fact, is it's a waste of time. Because when, when, you, when you depend on human wisdom, you know what you'll get? You know what you'll get 100% of the time? You'll get human results 100% of the time. And life is too short, right? Life is way too short to get human results in life. And the world, listen, the world doesn't need human results. The world is dying. You know why? The world is dying because of human wisdom. And the local church, I'm telling you, in, in the midst of controversy, in the midst of, of criticism, the church has to be devoted to the Word of God. Man, I, I'm telling you, I'm devoted to His Word. His Word saved my life. His Word gave me freedom. His Word guides me and directs me, and I hope it guides and directs you. The second thing that we have to be devoted to, we have to be devoted to fellowship. We have to be devoted to biblical fellowship. I'm so concerned about this because, because there seems to be a movement in society that, you know, church is just that place that I go and worship, and, and I really don't know anybody. I really don't come into community with one another. I really, don't, I really don't break bread with anyone. I really don't have many Christian friends around me. I got my church thing. That's like an hour on the weekend. But other than that, I, I, I really don't have that community. So you find the opposite. You find the opposite in the early church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 again. <coughs> and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and, and the prayer. So he begins con connecting all this stuff. And it's important that we eat together. It's really important that we eat together, right? Especially like Super Bowl weekend. It's all about the food, and, and we get that. We understand that. But it's important, it's important when we eat together that we break bread together, we pray together. See, this is what, this is what he's talking about a fellowship. He's talking about a life group. He's talking about developing community. Remember, the church was birthed out of a life group. The church was birthed out of a prayer meeting. 120 believers in one room for 10 days. And they're meeting together, and they're praying together, and they're eating together. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit shows up. And if this issue of community, if this issue of breaking of bread was, wasn't so important, then why would he list it? And i just tell you this. God values the dinner table. He values what happens in context of community. He values community. So there's all kinds of statistics out there that will show you that there's a huge difference in a family. There's a huge difference in a family that, that eats one meal together than a family that doesn't eat a meal together daily. There's a huge difference in, in how people connect at the dinner table. Uh, let, let me give you just, just a few out of Scripture. Uh, what Scripture tells us the dinner table is a place for us to connect. Man, when, when we get together, whether it's in a life group or we get together at the dinner table at, at, at our home, that it is a place to connect. It is a place not to be distracted with social media, with text, with Twitter, with email, uh, with phones, with tablets, with social media. I mean, have you, 
And I know I'm old school, and so we'll just meddle a little bit more. You ever tried to connect with someone? And they're trying to connect harder with people outside of the room instead of inside of the room? You ever sat down at a meal, and you're trying to connect as a family, and someone's like doing this, and, then, and you may be pouring your heart out to them? Then all of a sudden they start, they start laughing and say, hey, let me, let me show you this cat video on Facebook. <laughs> like, like, really? Really? Sometimes we, sometimes we care more what's being posted on Twitter or, or Facebook or social media, Instagram or any of those other things than we care what's, what's in the Word of God. See, he says at the table, the table is a place for us to connect. The table is a place and for us to set aside our electronic devices for 30 minutes, for an hour, whatever it is, and sit and just connect. How was your day? How are you doing? What, what's, what's God doing in your life? And, and have those conversations. But, but see, at the table, and see, I, I, think we're, I think we're losing all this. I think we're losing all this because you know what? We're, we're trying to live complicated lives, and I'm telling you, the power is in life, in a simplistic life. Another thing that he tells us about the table is it's, it's a place to... It's a place to give thanks. It's a place that we should take advantage and understand what's going on and we're willing to, to give thanks and to remember what God has done for us. And I mean, I'm so burdened by this because there's so many believers that like no longer really pray for a meal, especially when they're out in public. And it's just a place to connect. And you know what? It's not a place for a memorized ritual, routine prayer. I mean, it's, if, listen, I, I'm kind of like, in our community, I'm kind of like the invocation guy. I do a lot of invocations, whether it's at city council this Friday night, I'll, I'll be at the uh, sheriff's award banquet, and every year I do that, I, I do the invocation, and in front of them, I always give thanks. I always give thanks. We've had a meal together, I always give thanks. God, thank you for protecting our men and women, thank you for your provisions, thank you for keeping them safe, Thank you for their, that's just, that's what I do. But I'm so burdened that, man, we're missing that opportunity. We're missing that opportunity when we gather around a table as a family to help our kids understand that God is the one that provides for us this meal, this food that is on the table. God ultimately provided that for us. God, it's because of your love, it's because of your care. Have you, have you ever been around somebody whether it's a public setting or private setting? And all of a sudden, they pray for the food, and it's like, it's like, that was almost offensive. I, it was almost like they made fun of it. I mean, like, 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 good God, good grub, let's eat. And like, do they not know? Do, do they not know all that we have? The reason we have that, the reason we have that food on the table, the parents. One of the easiest ways for you to teach your kids about the provisions of God, the love of God, before you eat, before we eat, we're going to give thanks, kids. And we're going to thank God because you know what? It wasn't because of mama's salary. It wasn't really because of daddy's salary. You know what? Ultimately, God provided this food for you. God, and, we're, and we're going to thank you. If you need a biblical reference for this, because you may be pushing back and say, hey, I don't know if that's really biblical, especially out in public. Uh, I've gotten a habit now that when, you know, the rare times I see a family or someone praying before a meal at a public restaurant, I'll walk over to them and introduce myself and say, hey, 
I just want to tell you thank you, and I want to encourage you because you just encouraged me. You just encouraged me. You're not ashamed of your faith. You're not ashamed of your faith. And you understand what's happening at the, at, at, at the table. But maybe you need a biblical reference, Acts chapter 27. Paul is on this ship. There's 276 people there, and, and they go through a difficult time. So the Scripture says, well, let's just read it, uh, verse 35, and it says, And when Paul had said these things, he said some things to encourage them. He took bread, giving thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it and began to eat. And so the Apostle Paul thanked God for a meal in front of these guys, with these guys. Now, there's some people that will push back and say, well, well wait a minute. Uh, breaking a bread, that sounds like he, he, it was the Lord's Supper. It was communion. It couldn't have been communion, couldn't have been a Lord's Supper in that context because the Scripture tells us that 276 people were on board. Paul was the only Christ follower. Paul was the only God believer. And a communion break, and, and Lord's Supper was reserved only for believers. And so the Apostle Paul, all through Scripture, all through Scripture, we, we thank God. It's a time to show gratitude. The third thing that they were devoted to, they were devoted to unity. They were, they, they were just devoted to unity. Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says, And all who believed were together, that's an important word, together, and had all things in common. Every day they met together, they did life together, they, they gave thanks. They, they went from 120 to 3,000 overnight. You got thousands of people, and they're, they're like baby Christians. And, and I mean, it's a, it's a chaotic scene. But you know what? You know what they're doing? They're experiencing life together. And they were united. You know what they were united around? The word of God. You know, what, you, you know what united them? The gospel. You know what united them was the word of God, the gospel, the, the apostles' teachings. They stood on the word. They had common salvation, and they had a common mission. In other words, that's what unites the church. We unite around the word of God. I mean, they could remember. I mean, it was days. It was like yesterday. They can remember the day they met Christ. They can remember the com their mission. They could point back to the Great Commission. Listen, let me just tell you something in case, in case, you're, in case you want to know and you, you like read these scriptures and you think, wait a minute, it seems like it's about meeting needs. The church isn't need-centered or people-centered. The church is God-centered. It's not about our likes, our dislikes. It's not even about our preferences. It's not even about us. Man, this right here, the ultimate goal was not about meeting needs. It was... So worshiping God, it was standing on his word. In other words, it's not all about us. It's not all about our likes and, and our preferences and our dislikes. It's like, what, what, what does the word say? And so we're going we're gonna to be devoted to this issue of being together, to this issue of unity, to where they gathered together, they worshiped together, they prayed together, they read scriptures together. They unified and they prepared for the next season. Here's the fourth thing. They were, they were devoted to generosity. They were devoted to generosity. and In other words, they, 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 they understood this issue of generosity. They understood this power of generosity. Verse 45, and, and I'll explain this verse because don't let this verse freak you out because this verse, when I was a new Christian in my 20s, this verse literally freaked me out. And, but I didn't know enough in those days. Verse 45 says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distribu distributing the proceeds to all, as any had any, as any had need, I'm telling you, when I read this for the first time, and I wanted to be obedient Christian, and I'm like, seriously, are we supposed to? Are we supposed to share everything? I mean, if so, I'm going to drive home in your car, right? I mean, 
if we're, if we're going to share everything, I mean, is this what this scripture is saying? Are we really doing this the right way? But listen, you have to understand the book of Acts, and the book of Acts can be confusing for some because there's prescriptive versus descriptive, and you have to understand the difference. A prescriptive thing is simply this. This is prescriptive elements of scripture. In other words, basically, these things should happen regardless of context. Uh, I mean, these things should happen regardless of context in the local church. These, key, these things can be supported all through Scripture, whether it's through doctrine, other books of the Bible, uh, uh, the book of Romans, the book of Luke, all of these other books, the book of uh, uh, First and Second Timothy. In other words, when it's, when it's prescriptive, this thing's always going to happen, regardless of context. Descriptive meaning is this. It may be different depending on context. Depending on what the context looks like, it may look different. And so fact is, you can't find any support of this anywhere else in Scripture. And so what had happened was, this was describing what was happening. This group of people, uh, they didn't have any money. They weren't, in, uh, they weren't educated. They didn't have a lot of influence. They didn't have any political power. The only way they could survive in their time was to sell all of their possessions and share. So please, let me stop you. Please, please, please do not politicize or make Scripture political. This is not justifying socialism. This is not saying anything about socialism. This is simply saying it was descriptive, describing what was happening there in their context. But listen, just because we're not called to give everything or to sell all of our possessions and share, that does not exempt you and me from giving. That does not exempt us from being generous with our money. I mean, Paul talked about this. And, well, look at this. 1 John three seventeen says, But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, let me just ask a question. How, how can God's love abide in him? If life is all about them and all about their stuff and all about their things and never is generous, then how can God's love abide in them? Paul went on and said in Acts chapter 20, 35, he says, In all things I've shown you, that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. He's talking about generosity. He's talking about learning to be a giver. The fifth and the last thing is this, the church must be devoted to evangelism and discipleship. It goes back to what Jesus said before he ascended into the clouds, before he went to heaven. And he gave us the great commission and he said, this is, this church was built by God, and this is the mission of the church, and it's evangelism and discipleship. And Matthew 28, 16 says, and he says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth had been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The mission of God is the gospel. The gospel is what unites us, seeing people who are once far away from God come into a relation with him, follow him in baptism, but it doesn't stop there. Then all of a sudden they come into a life group, they come into a church, and people begin discipling them, and then you know what? And then they start that path all over. And they find someone and they disciple someone. In other words, to where we use our life, we leverage our life for the, for the kingdom. 
In other words, we understand that we're ambassador of Christ. We represent him wherever we go. And you may look at that and say, well, you know what? I can't do this in my own power. You're exactly right. You can't do this in your own power. That's why we can't depend on the power of man. We can't depend on the wisdom of man. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the Spirit has given us ability and gifts, what the t- Scripture teaches us, to fulfill the mission and the, the purpose of God. And without His power, we can't do any of this. I mean, we're, we're pursuing God in something that, you know what, it will only come by His hand. You look at this group of people, and they were, they were uneducated, they were unschooled, they had no political power. But you know what was said of them in the community? Everybody knew they had been with Jesus. You know what attracted people to their churches of their day? It wasn't the charisma of a pastor. It wasn't the greatness of a worship team. You know what it was? It was transformed lives. Men and women that they knew in the community going into this body of fellowship, their lives have been totally and completely changed. And as a result of that, in this community, they loved one another. They prayed for one another. They cared for one another. That was what was attractional about the early church. In other words, this group of people were willing to do this because of what Christ had had done for for them. And, man, if if we're going to get this right, what we do on our work weekend services cannot be all there is. We come here and we worship and and, and that is great and we continue to do that. But listen, that cannot be all there is. We have to understand this issue about the Word and its daily reading of the Word. And we leverage our life for for him. There's something that happened this last week that kind of put flesh on Fellowship of the Rockies for me and just something that I could just point to and say that, that that's who we are. I mean, that's who we're, we're supposed to be. Came in the life of a friend, and I'm, I'm just going to tell you this story, and we'll close with this. Um, 1997, I'd been here a couple of years. A man, counselor in t- town by the name of John Dingler, calls me and says, hey, listen, I'm a counselor in town. I'm counseling with a, with a friend. I'm, I'm counseling with a family. They're in crisis. They go to your church. Um, I believe in the covering of the local church. I believe in the power of the local church. He says, I'm a local church guy. Would you mind meeting me at their home and let's guide them through this crisis? I did, and we worked together, and, and John and I became friends. And John's been a part of our church for, for a number of years. Uh, Becky, his wife, was here Saturday night. I have her, I have her permission to tell this story. And so John had been a part of, has been a part of our church for several years. Uh, he served as a, uh, as a prayer partner. And then a few years back, John was diagnosed with stomach cancer. Uh, he went through a really, really, really difficult season. And uh, it was just amazing. I mean, um, I, I knew John's story, and I knew his journey, and, and he, would, he, would have, he would have surgery. And it's like I didn't expect him that weekend and then call for prayer partners and that was John's spot right there. That's where John would stand. And I'd look over, and, and there's John. And I'm thinking, really? Really? John, we should be praying for you. You should not be praying for us. And he's like, Charlie, this is my ministry. This is what God's called me to do. I, 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 I just want to I, I continue to do this. And so he'd go through a rough bout with chemo. He'd show up that weekend. And, and, and it was just who, and, and we did pray for him. But it was always after he prayed for you. And always after he ministered to you. And then last Saturday night, we baptized, we baptized five people on Saturday night. The Thursday before Saturday night, the Thursday before baptism night, I sat in Parkview Hospital with John and Becky Dingler. 
in a hospice nurse. And they were working through the process of moving John to home hospice. He only had a few days, maybe a week tops left. And so they were moving John to hospice. And I sat there and I watched the love between Becky and John. And, and John still had his humor. And, and um, I mean, John was, you know, still saying, can I go to work on Monday? I love what I do. And I'm like, John, you know, you're, you're going into hospice. And he goes, I know, but my dream is that I would die while I'm counseling. <laughs> I said, don't you know they're going to need a counselor after that? <laughs> but that was John's humor. And that was John's passion. And so they transferred John to home, home hospice on Friday. Saturday night, I'm in the foyer. Couple comes in for baptism. I met them, and I was talking to them. I asked them a question. I asked everybody, hey, what brought you to Fellowship of the Rockies? She said, oh, that's easy. John Dingler led me to the Lord last week. I said, really? She said, yeah, John Dingler led me to the Lord this last week. And I says, huh. And so she said, uh, I'm hoping John's going to be here tonight. And I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know how to break this to you. John's probably not going to be here tonight. He's in home hospice. She goes, no, I'm praying he'll be here. He told me he was going to try to be here. I go, man, you don't understand. He, he, was, he was put in home hospice. And she goes, well, I'm praying he's here. Said, okay. And so her and her husband went on back. And I forgot we're talking about John Dingler. And so she goes on back. And sure enough, I'm in the foyer. And here comes Becky bringing John in. Over the last few weeks, John had lost 60 to 70 pounds. He made his way in, and they sat kind of in the back in the center. And then when, John, when, when Pastor Dwayne baptized this couple, he told the story that John Dingler had led them to the Lord. And then, then Pastor Dwayne said, John, are, brother, are you here? Would you just stand in honor of her? And our whole church watched. 70-year-old man, end of his life, forced himself up out of his chair, steadied himself on his wife, and stood for her in her baptism. I'm watching that. That's what I want for my life. That stay faithful to the end. That I stay faithful to the end in love with my wife, in love with the local church, in love with God, still doing what he called us to do. It is so easy for us to come up with every excuse in the book why we can't serve him, why we can't follow him, why we can't read, read scripture, why we can't be devoted to those things. And I am sitting there and I am watching that man live his life in such a way all the way to the end loves the local church loves people still witnessing and drawing people to Christ cuz that's listen that is who he is and only in John Dingler's fashion Sunday he went and played golf <laughs> his buddies helped him around the golf course and then Thursday John Dingler went to be with the Lord. 
And this week I'll, I'll do his funeral. But he made a tremendous impact on my life. See, I think so many times we have this belief in the local church that we can retire from Christianity. And I paid my dues. I just don't need to do that anymore. Can I tell you this? We need you the most. We need your wisdom. We need your longevity. And we need your insight. You want to know who Fellowship the Rockies is? You want to know what we're going to be devoted to? Regardless of what happens in this world? Regardless of what laws they put in place or don't put in place? We're going to stay devoted to his word. We're going to stay... We're going to stay devoted to fellowship and community. We're going to be devoted to unity. That doesn't mean we always agree with one another, but we are, we are going to center on the word of God, and we're going to stand on it. And we're going to be devoted to evangelism and discipleship because this world needs us because it's what God has called us to do. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?